Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Julie R. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, February 6th, the 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 24 with the second paragraph, the almost certain consequences, and we'll be reading through three paragraphs ending with so many want to stop but cannot. Comments in all three. Today's readers are Leslie W., Sherry KB, and John K. The share ID for Monday, February 5th, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting is 11,008. For the Tuesday, February 6th, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, it is 11,011. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tracy V. to read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Tracy V., Recovering Compulsive Overeater. Um, One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening, as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Hi. Thank you, Tracy B. And I will now ask Reggie O. to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Julie. Can you hear me? I can. Great. Thanks. This is Reggie O., gratefully recovered in the Los Angeles area. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. 
four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Reggio. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 24, the second paragraph, the almost certain consequences, reading through three paragraphs ending with, so many want to stop but cannot. Comments will be on all three. I will now ask Leslie W. to begin reading. Thank you, Julie. This is Leslie W. Recovered in Tennessee. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way? And after the third or fourth, pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink. Or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond humaning, and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history, but for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. Yeah, so many want to stop but cannot. Um, I wanted to stop. 
Um, and this reading, this makes me think of my last relapse. It was, um, oh, I think it was around, it was the summer of 2014. <clears throat> and we, and I had just had my second child and we were taking on a, a taking a vacation. And the baby was just a couple of months old at that point. And uh, I still had not worked through all of the steps, even though I had been in Overeaters Anonymous since 2010. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember being incredibly sleep deprived, which will screw up your head to begin with. Um, and uh, <clears throat> then, um, I don't know, just my husband just wasn't, behaving the way that I thought he should and um I was stressed out um my emotions were all over the place and I was not working my program I was what you call a dry drunk at that point and I can remember having a bowl of cereal in the middle of the night while we were on that vacation thinking to myself I have no other choice I have to eat Um, because that's the only way I'm going to get through this. I didn't have a spiritual solution at that point. Um, I wasn't reading the big book like I am today. And I remember that was the first, that was the beginning of my relapse. Um, was with a bowl of cereal in the middle of the night. And I can remember justifying it to myself, saying, well, it's not really the middle of the night because it's only 1130. So technically, it's not past midnight yet, so I'm still good. I had such an intent, and I still can have a, a, uh, I mean, my BS meter is so off the charts, it's not even funny. I mean, I am so dishonest when it comes to this, so incredibly dishonest. So. You know, I it had to just, I had to have relapse after relapse before it finally sunk in. And I, I do this program because I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget that pain. And I don't want to forget that I'm a compulsive overeater with no power of choice over this disease. So I must do the work every day to keep this disease at bay. Thank you for letting me do service. And we've got a task. Thank you, FOW. And who would like to share on the three paragraphs that were just read? Ginger Allison C. Matt Ginger R. Allison C., I believe. Um, before Gina R., there was one person. John K. Okay, John K. Got a couple more. Marietta. Okay, so it's Ginger C, Allison C, John K, Gina R, Marietta P. Go ahead, Ginger C. Good morning, Julie. Thanks for your service. Ginger C, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. Oh, I love this passage this morning. And, you know, what's the use anyhow? That was me. You know, and that first fight enters my mouth. I am done. I'm not stopping after the fifth or the sixth, you know, candy bar or whatever I'm Binging on, I'm done. I'm going out and I'm going to just keep eating because once I start, I cannot stop. And I used to go crazy in OA meetings because people would come in and they'd be like, well, I binged last night, but I'm here today. 
And I'm like, I don't know what kind of eater you are, but if I binge last night, I am not going to an OA meeting uh, the next day. I'll promise you that. I'll be lucky if I even get back. And that's the reality of this compulsive overeater. Once I start, I do not stop. And I don't know if I'll get back. So today's gift of a recovered state of mind and body is unbelievable. And it's so important. I have a responsibility because the last sentence is the saddest sentence. Many want to stop but cannot. And today there are so many people suffering in the food, and they don't even know that there's any type of solution or any hope. And of those of us with recovered um, and, you know, have had this entire psychic change, there's a light shining through. And they can sense that. It, they can see that. And I had a call yesterday, and it was the saddest call because this person is so in the depths of their disease. And, and I was grateful to hear it, too, though, because that's where God gets our attention. I didn't come in singing and dancing. I came in in a lot of pain, and I was dying. And I was willing to listen, and I was willing to surrender. And this person's put their food down, and I just pray for them now. So I just pray that I keep doing this like my life depends on it because it absolutely does. There is no resting on laurels. I have to stay in the firing line. I have to wash, rinse, and repeat. Here we go. Here's a new day. God, who would you have me be? What would you have me do? Help me to stay out of selfish, self-centered ginger and to do your will. Thy will be done continuously throughout this day. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ginger C. Allison C. followed by John K. Then Gina R. Hi, this is Allison C. in New Jersey. Um, so grateful to be on the line this morning. Um, this page is one of my favorite pages in the big book and something that I just have highlighted, circled in 20 different colors, underlined. Um, so, you know, how did I ever get started again? I mean, that was kind of like, I swore I wasn't going to do it again. After that last binge, I wasn't going to do it. And I always found myself in that same place again. And it, it really, this analogy of putting your hand on a stove and burning yourself is like just so, you know, it sounds so funny, but it's like, that's what I was doing. You know, I have that self-knowledge. I knew that if I you know, continue to do things the way that I was doing, it wasn't going to work out. I wasn't going to get recovered. I wasn't going to be able to put the food down. But I, I had these little things that I breathed in with myself, like, you know what? Tomorrow I'll just get back on. Like, just this one time, I'm just going to I'm just gonna go get, get this little bowl of ice cream, and that was it. And I, like, had convinced myself that time and time again, day after day, month after month, year after year, that, it never worked, going back to the, the paragraph we read yesterday about, like, having amnesia. You know, I did not remember what it was like to put my hand on that stove and burn myself, you know. I, um, you know, it's, I like what they use this word defense. Um, they used it, I believe, in the paragraph last, um, we, we lost the power of choice of drink. Um, they use these like really, really powerful words like um, defense. And I don't know why, but that, that word just really sticks out for me. Um, so the consequences of that fall and taking even um, a glass of beer. So it's like the consequences of me just taking that one little bowl of ice cream that I think is just going to be one. You know, the consequence is always the same. The consequence is always that I am like off 
to the races. And then in the morning, I'm like, oh, you know what? Today I got this. Today I got this. And, you know, maybe I have it for a day or two or three, but if I don't have any step work and I don't have a sponsor on, I'm not going to meetings. You know, it's not just like one part of the program that we do. It's, it's everything. You have to go to meetings. You have to work the steps like diligently, constantly, constantly being in a step and talking to other people. And I'm, I'm so glad that I was able to get back into recovery and do all these things that had worked for me before. Um, so I don't even have to think about putting my hand on the hot stove anymore. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you very much, Allison C. John K. followed by Gina R. Good morning. This is John Kiernan, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Los Angeles. You know, this thing starts with the almost certain consequences. I, I laughed. I went, you know, I, I passed that almost threshold a long time ago. It was a definite, you know, if I got going, you know, and it dovetails so perfectly with the line from yesterday, we are without defense against the first drink. You know, it just shows the insanity of the second step, you know. Uh, you know, And I love the, the, the definition I found a while back that says a, the state of mind which prevents normal perception. And, that, and that's the key. I'm so, I have such good perception in every other area except my addictions. And the, see, that's the problem for me is I have a disease that's in my brain and it sits right alongside all the other normal functioning in my brain. And I am without defense upon taking the first drink or the first bite or whatever. You know, it triggers that allergy of the body, you know. And uh, that's the important thing is is that, you know, we're when I read, we're, I've had people say, oh, well, we're, defense, we're without defense against the first drink. It doesn't mean we're defense against the first drink or against the, once we take the first drink, the first bite. You know, uh, and that's why I'm in OA. That's why I do all that I do, because I need the defense from picking up that first bite. That used to be said so much more, the constant, the concept of the first bite, you know, and, and I have tools now that aid me with that, Overeaters Anonymous and the big book and this meeting, and I need that, and I need it constantly, even after all these years. There was a lady named Clara in our area who used to say, I'm not a slow learner, I'm a quick forgetter. You know, and if left to the devices, I'm going to be in the kitchen with a handful of something saying, okay, I'm starting tomorrow, definitely tomorrow, <laughs> you know, but since I'm starting tomorrow, today can be yeehaw, and, and you know, that's the way my disease works. I always share about my disease, it's like the world's best salesman who keeps trying to make the sale and make the sale to get me to eat, and then it, it even know, it can read my mind, so whatever I'm going to say, it's got the answer, and if it does get me to eat, then he puts his arm around me and says, oh, and by the way, this was your idea. Well, you know what? It wasn't my idea. I wouldn't be going to all these meetings and have a sponsor and be an intergroup rep if I really wanted to do that. But at that exact moment of impulse, my disease convinces me this is my idea. And that's why I need all of this and I need a spiritual awakening to realize that because my disease is always going to dangle that illusion of powerfulness. You know, and the other thing is before program, I had all this intellectual arrogance. I wasn't really very teachable. And today I can think of the sponsees I've had that are dead, literally dead as a result of this disease and friends that are dead. And none of them had never gotten it. They all had it and they gave it away. And, you know, they didn't slip. They gave it away, you know. And and I know for me, thanks to my work and program, if it can happen to them, it can happen to me. And that's why I need to do all this work daily, 
you know, the price of abstinence is eternal vigilance. And I always say, and I'll wrap with this, you know, I think my abstinence was a gift. I was trying for months and months and months before I got, got given the gift of abstinence. And I think I can't get it, but I give it away. No higher power has ever taken anybody's abstinence away. We give it away willingly. And with that, I pass. Thank you, John Kay. And Marietta P., you are next. Uh, Julie, this is Gina R. I thought I was after John. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, you are. <laughs> Good morning. Gina R. I was all, I was all queued <laughs> up. That's okay. I'm you are right. for Marietta if she'd no. like to go. That's okay. G- go ahead, Gina R. and then Marietta P., my, my bad. I'm on the okay. line. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Thank you, Julia, for uh, moderating and um, hurting us cats. It, uh, <laughs> this is Gina R., gratefully recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, living in Green Valley, Arizona. I'm zeroing in on when it, where it says, when this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. And unless locked up, he may die or permanently go insane. Uh, For me, thinking has always been a problem for me. If my only problem had been the eating, I think I could have handled it easily, Um, but I couldn't. My common sense and good intentions just dissolved when eating and thinking joined forces against me. Um, My brain and my body have always seemed to be in conflict My mind always wants things my body can't provide, and it's telling me lies all of the time. I live in that delusion. Um, And it's so easy for me to, you know, go into that that space after a moment or two of thoughtful consideration and just say, oh, what the hell? One little bite won't hurt anything anyway. So it really is in my mind, in my thinking. And um, these questions were given to me a while back, and it was um, instead of uh, using the word drinking, you would use the word thinking. And these are the questions if you want to see if you're an alcoholic or a food addict. Do you lose time from work due to your thinking? Is your thinking making your home life unhappy? Do you think because you are shy with other people? Is your thinking affecting your reputation? Have you ever felt remorse after thinking? Have you gotten into financial difficulty as a result of thinking? Do you turn to lower companions or an inferior environment when thinking? Does your thinking make you careless of your family's welfare? Has your ambition decreased since thinking? Do you crave a think at a defined time daily? Do you want to think in the next think the next morning? Does thinking cause you to have sleep difficulty? Has your efficiency decreased since thinking? Is thinking jeopardizing your job or business? Do you think to escape from worries or trouble? Do you think alone? Have you ever had a complete loss of memory as a result of thinking? Has your physician ever treated you for thinking? Do you think to build up your self-confidence? Have you ever been to a hospital or institution on account of your thinking? So for me, after answering those questions, I can answer yes to almost all of them. It's very apparent to me that for me, this is a thinking disease, and I'm so glad that someone told me if I'm not the problem, there is no solution. So I have to lay aside how I think and get ready for the solution, which, thank you, God, is in the next paragraph. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Gina R. And Marietta P., you are next. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Okay. Good morning. I'm Marietta P. from Virginia. 
And what I see is that threadbare and haziness, that to me is, you know, for myself, I see that that's examples of that mental twist. You know, the other component of my disease, you know, I have an allergy of the body, you know, that once I put that, my alcoholic soothes into my body, you know, I can't stop. You know, it's like, you know, and the, and the mental twist, you know, that blank spot, there, there is no recollection of the harm it's done previously. You know, the mental twist tells me what it does for me. And, you know, it, it's just another way of stating to me what, what is said in the doctor's opinion. And, you know, today I'm grateful to be recovered, to be in a place where, you know, I'm not counting on my recollection. What I am doing today is, living the program of recovery by doing and living the process that has been presented to me in this book. And I'm very grateful for that. And I'm grateful to hear, you know, the other shares and and uh, and to see and know where other people are at along with myself that by God's grace, today I don't have to count on myself to... Oh, who decided to hate me? Somebody was unmuted. Oh, oh. And you know, it's 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 a blessing today to know that I'm not in charge. That I don't have to fix this. You know, I didn't cause my having this disease. And but there is a remedy, and that is, you know building a relationship with a power greater than myself, a God of my understanding, as it's, you know, as it's been related to me in this book. I mean, this whole directions of what I need to do and how I need to do it, I must do the must in this book for me to obtain and to to hold on to the program of recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Marietta P. And for those who just joined us, I'd like to let you know we are on page... 24, starting with the second paragraph, the almost certain consequences, reading through three paragraphs, ending with so many want to stop but cannot. Who would like to share in these paragraphs? Try one to unmute. Dorita P. Dorita P. Ashley P. Ashley P. Anyone else? Lisa J.R. Lisa J.R. I'm sorry, what page did you say? Page 24, the second paragraph, the almost certain consequences, reading through three paragraphs. Thank you. So many that want to stop. All right, well, let's start with Dorita P., followed by Ashley P. and Lisa J.R. Go ahead, Dorita. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Hi, my name is Dorita P. from Cleveland. Excuse me, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Yeah, um, I'm grateful. First of all, I'm so grateful to be on the meeting. I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, well, I wasn't thinking about the time. And I looked at the time; it was ten o'clock. I said, "Oh, you know, it's a good time to get on the meeting." I haven't been on for a few days. Uh, but yeah, the almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd 
into their mind. Yeah, um, just reminds me of all the diets I was on. Um, and, you know, I will forget. I, I will forget about the night before, you know, uh, when I ate, you know, uh, most of a pizza, um, you know, ice cream and donuts and all of this stuff. And when I finished eating that stuff, I said, well, tomorrow will be different. You know, tomorrow I won't eat like this. Tomorrow I'll, you know, start, uh, I don't know, eating vegetables. Uh, but it never happened that next day. It never, never happened. Uh, the next day was more of the same. Um, and uh, and I would, uh, you know, say, well, uh, I'll stop at the sixth drink. I'll stop at the sixth donut. Or what's the use anyhow? You know, um I'm going to start tomorrow, so let me just eat today. You know, that thought of starting tomorrow or Monday or next month or the beginning of the year, you know, that gave me, you know, that gave me peace. So if I'm going to start tomorrow, uh, I'm going to have some peace around eating everything I want today. Um, and then this last part, so many want to stop but cannot. Yeah, I wanted to stop. I know my life was. Uh, I knew I was miserable, but I, you know, I didn't have a solution. And I'm so grateful that I'm here in Overeaters Anonymous. And there is a solution. There really is a solution. I know some of the meetings I go to, you know, uh, it's sort of like it feels like there's no solution. But every chance I get, I say, yeah, there is a solution for us. There really is a solution for us. And all we need to do is pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Dorita P. Allison P. Followed by Lisa J. Ashley P. Ashley P. Hi. Oh, hi. This is Ashley P. Recovered in Northern California. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. Yeah, um, well, first of all, I just want to thank everybody for their service, and um, this has been a great meeting. I'm, I'm loving the shares, and I'm, I love these paragraphs. Um, I'm really grateful to, to hear um, about the thinking um, being the problem because, uh, of, of course, um, when I put these foods into my body, um, the, the reaction I have uh, is to just eat and eat and eat more or to restrict or to exercise or to do whatever the next day so that the eating won't, won't be a problem. Um, but it's, it's the thinking that um, precipitates all of that. Um, so I, I love the line, there's a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one um, from hope, from putting his hand on a hot stove. It won't burn me this time, so here's how. Um, that's what my brain does. As, as others have shared, I have a really, really nasty forgetter, and um, it's constantly going to tell me that uh, I can have that first bite again, or I can get on a scale, or um, in recovery and in abstinence that I, I don't need to make a 10-step call or that I don't need to turn over my 11th step at night, that I don't need to listen to a meeting, that I don't need to go to a face-to-face -face meeting. Um, 
what I've really noticed uh, in in abstinence and and in recovery is um, how loud uh, the voice of my disease gets, and, and the voice of of which is the voice of my self will, um, as one of our fellows says. And um, uh, I guess to me, the the gift of of recovery is that I can hear that voice. I have an awareness that um, uh, it may not be the truth. I have the ability with uh, the help of, of other uh, recovered compulsive eaters to, to question that voice, to ask if, um, if that's the truth. And these paragraphs are particularly helpful because if that's the voice that's going to put my hand back on a hot stove, if that's the voice that's going to tell me that I can have sugar or that I can get on a scale, or um, that I can begin skipping around meals. Um, those things I know are crazy. So then I have the ability to, to question these other things that maybe perhaps don't seem as crazy. Um, the voice that says I'm not good enough, the voice that says I'm never doing enough, the voice that says I'm going to fail, um, because that's also the voice that, that eventually becomes, and you should take a bite, and you should restrict. Um, so, Fine. yeah, really grateful today. Okay, thanks. I hear. I pass. <laughs> Thank you, Ashley. <laughs> and Lisa J.R., you're next. Hi, this is Lisa J.R. from Baltimore, Maryland, gratefully recovered tornado and compulsive overeater. Um you know, this is the deal. In the beginning of the budding phase of my disease, when it was in its wee infancy, I remember, um, you know, because hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, and having gotten recovered, I can look back and see where my blank spots were. But in the beginning, I could say, you know, gee, um, if I have this piece of birthday cake, I can jog for another um, half hour in the morning and another half hour for my regular run at night and it'll balance out. And of course, you know, with the progression that I, I wasn't aware of then, it got worse and worse. Then, then it became, you know, jogging with a black paper bag under my clothes and et cetera, et cetera. And it progressed to the point that I was almost like a leper um, lepers have a lot of injuries because they don't feel pain. So I, you know, that built-in forgetter had reached such a point that I would put my hand on a hot stove. I would get burned, um, not even thinking of the consequences at all. In the beginning, I did. At the end, I didn't think of the consequences at all. I was like a robot. I knew where every bakery was and my car would turn right in without any power. I was, I, I was, as it says, beyond human aid. I have placed myself beyond human aid. Um, and until then, um, you know, I never invited God in. Until I came into the rooms and picked up the, the kit of, of tools, spiritual tools, I never invited God into my food. Um, and thank God, just through uh, divine intervention that I came into the rooms and I listened to real recovery, not, 
not morbid reflection, not, you know, the things that drew me to vision were, was the, the great recovery I was hearing. And I thought, you know, if, if it, if it was, if these people could do it, I can do it. Um, and they, it just breathed life into me. And I picked that toolkit up and I worked it. And then once that, that abstinence, that abstinence from the food cleared my head. Yes. I love what Kim G says. Yes. I feel anger better. Yes. I feel resentment better, but I'm learning one day at a time to settle, settle down in the unpleasant parts and in the uncomfortableness and know that God is working and I don't have to eat over it. And that is a blessing um, that I just intend to carry the rest of my life pass it what was given to me freely on to others and I I'm just so thankful for this book and all you people being here this morning and with that I'll pass thank you Lisa JR and for those who might have just joined us we are on page 24 starting with the second paragraph the almost certain consequences and reading through three paragraphs ending with so many may want to stop but cannot comments are on all three who would like to share Shannon S. Sherry KB. After Sherry KB, Polly B. Courtney B. Courtney B. All right. Kathy G. Okay. So we have Shannon S. Followed by Sherry KB. Go ahead, Shannon. Good morning. Thank you, Julie, for your service. I thank you, everybody, for being on the line. This is Shannon S., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic in New York. Um, I mean, wow, what, what power and what description of, um, of this disease in these paragraphs. Um, what came to mind to me is that very last sentence, so many want to stop but cannot. Um, for a long time, um, out of recovery and in recovery, I thought that I wanted to stop. I had myself convinced that I wanted to stop, um, but I really didn't. I wanted, um, <clears throat> I wanted the pain to go away. I wanted the pain to stop, but I didn't really want to give up the food because I had no idea what that actually meant. And food was my crutch. Food was something that, um, that held me up. Um, but, you know, today um, I still can't. I still can't stop on my own. Um, I can only stop by the grace of God and only with God's help. And I've been able to have that spiritual awakening and continue um, having that awakening, that educational variety, um, as it's called in the appendix, um, day after day as I work these steps. Um, And, you know, as it says, but for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. Um, that is what, um, sets this program aside is the spiritual component because I've done everything. Um, I've seen a bunch of counselors. I even went and got a master's degree in exercise science and health promotion thinking, okay, I'm going to crack this code. Um, but I could not stop. But here through this program, by the grace of God, with God's help, I am able to stop, and um, I can say that I'm able to stop for today, for this moment, and then I just have to keep on working, um, keep on working the steps, keep on using the tools, because what I have is a daily reprieve. I can't stop.
store up um, my recovery and say, okay, I'm going to do a ton of recovery this weekend, and then I'm going to coast for the week. No, um, that's what my disease wants me to think, but I have to do it every single day. And um, by the grace and mercy of my higher power, who I call God, um, I am recovered today. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Shannon S. Sherry KB, followed by Polly B. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, everybody. Sherry KB in Northern California. Very grateful, recovered, compulsive reader, and thank you so much for your service, Julie, and everybody on the line. Um, I love the shares today, and, you know, I love looking up words, and Threadbare jumped out at me, and what it means is um, overused to the point of being worn out. So what it's telling me is my supplanted ideas, which are forced out by my old worn-out idea that this time it's going to be different, that I can handle myself differently. I mean, I've used that excuse over and over and over again in my life. And, um, you know, thinking it was it was right because my mental twist and mental blank spot would get together and tell my intellect that it's going to be different this time. But yet, you know, I burned myself every time. And this is like... Um, on a hot stove, it's the opposite of step 10 promises that will recoil from it from like as from a hot flame. And, you know, and and I convince myself it's going to be different this time. And that is my, my mental twist uh, supplanted in my mind. And without a higher power, I will continue to do this kind of behavior. But with, with working the steps, living in the steps and staying in the steps, and being connected with my higher power, I don't have to think this way anymore because doing this type of behavior, I'm beyond human aid. So it's telling me the only only way that I'm going to get out of this is align my will with my higher power and to live in these steps and work the steps. And, you know, you hear about people going out or they've had years of abstinence and all this other stuff, and what do they have in common? They stop doing the work. And that's what I realized is I need to hear that over and over and over again because my disease will tell me, I've got this, I can do this. But I need to remember that, you know, putting my hand on a hot flame, the visual of that is awful. But I've done that over and over again when I've been in this disease and thinking I'll never do it again. But then I take back my will, and my will is the voice of my disease. Uh, My self-will is. So I have to continue to read this book. Work, work the steps, live in the steps, work with others, all this other stuff. Otherwise, I will be back in it just like this, and I never want to forget it. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry KB. Polly B. followed by Courtney B. Hello, this is Polly B. Thank you, Julie, for your service. I am grateful to be alive today with the daily reprieve one day at a time as a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, there's so many sentences in this reading that uh, speak to me. The first, there is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. And I had lost sensation, like someone said, mentioned a leper. Uh, I could easily say to myself in a most casual way, it won't burn me this time. And that kept happening even after I was abstinent with the food. Uh, My compulsive behaviors, I used them to manipulate, skipping meals, changing my food plan, even keeping within the foods I had designated but moving them around. And that kept me from surrender. 
and it kept me from recovery. And once I was able to admit my powerlessness and surrender to a higher power with the assistance of a recovered guide who stuck with me, even though I was still asking why sometimes, uh, and to live and grow in the steps, particularly 10 through 12, and to remind myself every day, I have a complete failure of the kind of defense that would put my hand on a hot stove and that's humbling. It keeps me working the program and never to forget that my disease is one of denial, even if I'm neutral with the food and even if my behaviors have stabilized, that I must remind myself every day with the assistance of others and humility and surrender to my higher power that that is my disease. And it's always there every day. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Polly B. Courtney B., followed by Kathy G. This is Courtney B., recovered in Northern California. Uh, This so takes me back to step one of understanding it's not a moral issue. I have a disease, but I'm not the disease. And my sponsor said, you know, I have a disease, I'm not the disease. It's like I make mistakes, but I'm not a mistake. And it will just chat with me all day long. And I had 28 days abstinent. I'm in Safeway, buying my abstinent food, and all of a sudden, I could smell the bakery. And all of a sudden, my disease started in on me. Oh, my God, oh, my God. You, oh, my God, you haven't had those in so long, you poor thing. Blah, 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 blah. So I had to look around in Safeway to see if there's any OA members, right? And then I froze, and I felt so sad that I was going to blow my 28 days hope. But I keep, I kept talking to my sponsor. I have a disease. I'm not the disease. It'll chat with me. And I said, so I named it Gargoyle. I've named my disease Gargoyle. And I said to it, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to call my sponsor and ask her if I can add six of these things from the bakery for lunch. And then she says, okay, we're doing it. Dead silence. It's stopped talking to me. Isn't that interesting? I was still a little panicky. I remember I just like went running out of Safeway. I made a phone call. I told her what was happening. I said, what do I do? What do I do? And she goes, she went out of Safeway and make a phone call. And she talked with me in my car all the way home. She goes, how about some tea? I had some tea and I was fine. So I learned, you know, I don't want to be a dry drunk. My ex-husband was dry. He did not. He got step one. If he drank, he was going to die. He did not drink. And he was a crazy man, irritable, restless, angry. Oh, a dry drunk. I don't want to be a dry drunk. So people can get step one without, and be a dry drunk. I don't want that. I want to be happily, happily abstinent. So for me, getting step one, which is what this addresses, it's so important. That's that's what I see most of us can't get. We just keep thinking it's some kind of a spiritual, moral issue. Yeah, those are components, but at the heart of it is, oh, I'm physiologically different. I'm not a normal eater, that's all. And it needs to be arrested, but it won't be cured. Arrested. So I bathe my brain every morning in recovery, bathe my brain, change my thinking, tell me the truth, and and I listen and I pray and I'm willing to learn and grow put the plug in the jug, and I deal with all the emotional stuff as it comes along in the day. With that, I pass. 
Thank you, Courtney B. And Kathy G., you will be our last chair. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And I, I appreciate your service today. And thanks, everyone, for being on the line. This is such a great meeting, and I'm definitely at the right place. Uh, it absolutely fascinates me, this line, or perhaps he doesn't think at all. It just made me think back to how many times was I at a birthday party after having had some abstinence and some success in life, and just because I wanted to be part of, like to have that experience of belonging, I would have that cake, knowing that for me, it was like taking a gigantic hammer to my head. I mean, if not worse, it was like taking heroin because it was going to do the same thing to me, whether that day or that week, it was going to do the same thing. And the truth is that that cake lasts for seconds or, you know, maybe a minute or two on a good day, but it just made me realize, realizing these paragraphs yet again, that this illness is a complete liar. And if I let this illness lead me, I'm letting myself being led by a liar. And I'm grateful today that I choose to be led by God. And God loves me and speaks truth to me. And I'm going to follow God today, not the lying thoughts if they pop in of the illness. Um, I'm, I'm doing step nine right now, and I'm going deeper in uh, some time management and organization as a result of coming to terms with the unmanageability of my life in these areas. And I was thinking, you know, if I search for someone to help me, I'm not going to be looking for a liar. I'm going to be looking for an honest person with a proven track record. And that is the exact antithesis of my illness. So just want to thank you all so much for all you continually share and teach me about what recovery looks like. So grateful to be here. Thanks. I passed. Thank you, Kathy G. It is now time to close our meeting. I would like to thank everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Sherry KP, KB, Please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thanks, Julie. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you 